Hello, everyone. My name is David Apple, head of the SaaS and software vertical here at Sage Intact and host of this podcast, the Modern SaaS Finance Podcast. We've created this for you, CFOs, controllers, heads of FP&A, RevOps, members of the finance of fast finance communities and fast growth SaaS companies. We discuss subscription usage, billing models, RevRec, SaaS metrics, forecasting just the key functions you need in order to drive the cash flow and the trajectory of your firm on its path to the IPO and beyond. And I've been getting a lot of questions for more great investor insights to come on. And I asked a guy that I've known for many years, one of the best early stage seed investors out there, Mike Brown, the co-founder and general partner at Bowery Capital. Um, they have done a great number of seed early stage investments, global firm with investments around the world, headquarters in New York City and San Francisco. <laughs> so they like the tech hotspots. And uh, so, Mike, thank you very much for joining. Would you share with everybody a little bit more about you and Bowery? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, Dave. Um, so quick background on me. My career has been equity research and then venture capital. Um, Bowery, very quickly, we are seed stage B2B, as you mentioned, are sort of three big pillars as a firm first we're really 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 focused on helping companies with their go-to-market motions and think sales marketing and customer success so we'll get into this a little bit more in the podcast but really really focus there um, after we make investments the second is we've been predominantly doing software as a service investing so when you think of the pricing and delivery models of your companies bowery's 90 percent SaaS. We do do a little bit in what we call business marketplaces. So think take rate businesses, um, percent of, of interchange or float through through a business. That's number two. Um, and then the third big bucket is, as you mentioned, we're pretty global. Most of our activity tends to be US-based with a evolution or a progression towards international markets. Um, but we pride ourselves on sort of knowing everything and anything uh, about the ecosystems that we try and operate in. Of course, we're in New York and in the Bay Area. Um, and yeah, excited to be on. So that's a little bit about Bowery. <laughs> so the net of it for you, our listener, Mike knows his stuff. Been there. <laughs> we want to draw out some of those stories a little bit because there's a lot of what to do, what a little bit of what not to do because have you seen so much and helped so many founders with how do I build a go-to-market motion and keep my clients? So, but let's start with what's top of mind for everybody. What's changed in seed and early stage fundraising? Yeah. So the, the big picture that I think founders need to realize is there's been a cascading effect as the public markets have really traded down most of the SaaS names that we are all familiar with are now very, very low on a revenue multiple relative to where they were through 2021. And that's affected every element of the market, including seed. Mostly you're seeing a large scale change in the pricing of these businesses. So when we look at investing in these companies, pre-money and post-money valuations tend to be a bit lower. The second thing we tend to see that has changed is the paid-in capital numbers mm -hmm. coming down a little bit. I, I still think it takes a lot of money to scale a SaaS business, but 
the achievement of product market fit uh, usually requires in our world one to four or five million dollars. You're seeing founders be a little more intentional and a little more specific uh, with the dilution as a result of the pricing coming down. And as a result, you're seeing less paid in capital go into these companies. And the third and probably the biggest change is we were operating in a pretty fast-paced environment in 2020 and 2021. It felt sometimes like we were working on investment opportunities where we had a matter of days to make a decision. That, that's really shifted, I think, as the, the cascading effect has happened. You have late-stage growth investors being very picky about opportunities in the pre-IPO market. You have growth investors doing the same thing, Series B, Series A, on down. And so as a result, we've had a little bit more time to make investment decisions, to do a bit more research, to do a bit more due diligence. You're, you're seeing an increase in time. And, and as a result, you're seeing founders sort of have more time on their hands to raise money, maybe said differently. These processes are going to be longer as you think about going into 2023. You're not going to be able as easily to raise that quick seed round. Mm -hmm. What great insights, though, for everybody listening right now to think about and realize what to do and how to manage through it. But it's essentially it's all that is be even more thoughtful because the rules have changed and be more strategic in how you're trying to execute, prosecute the product market fit, which ultimately always just comes down to get pick a number, 10 happy customers that will give you great feedback, become your early evangelist and advocates for what's going, and that allowing you then to decide, now let's build an efficient sales of, you know, um, velocity model on top of that. That's really critical. And so for, for our early stage folks that are listening, how should they get even more efficient in how they're preserving and then spending that cash that they're getting in the early stage funding? Yeah, I think, look, there's a piece of this which you will not be able to outrun, which is if I'm in product development mode and I'm really in, I need to hire engineers to deliver a product or service to market, I, I don't think there's much you're going to be able to do. And I think you do still have to meet that deliverable or that that sort of North Star uh, point. Most of the companies we work with are not trying to rationalize cash around product and engineering predominantly because their focus is I, I got to get a product in market and I'm listening to some of my early customers and I have to keep up product development. The good news though, is that that's usually a fixed cost basis and you can manage it relatively um, efficiently in a seed stage company. You can choose to not hire more engineers. Um, you know, you can choose to let go of engineers relatively easily. That, that's one consideration, but something that I don't think we've seen a lot of companies um, need to do or, or, or take issue with. The, the one area which we tend to see a conversation around and it really matters around cash preservation is just, do I truly have achievement of what is commonly referred to as product market fit? Now, you'll have listeners from across a wide spectrum, so I can't tell you exactly what that means. It's very specific to go-to-market motion, sales or marketing dynamics, 
you know, the, I'll, I'll get into to a little bit more of the science of scaling uh, as we continue to go. But there's an area where I think an intense focus on existing customers, prospects that are mid to late stage in a funnel, and maybe some of your top of funnel in order to really see if you have that, that achievement of product market fit is going to be informational and important about cash preservation. Now, what, what am I, what do I actually saying or what do I mean uh, based on that input? I think, look, if you don't have product market fit, it's going to be a really difficult series A or, or next round of funding. And you need to go back and think hard about what to do. Um, this is where we tend to see cash preservation come into play. Maybe my first account executive was not that successful in terms of achievement of quota, uh, in terms of activity metrics. And upon inspection, maybe that person shouldn't be here anymore. And I do need to go back to founder-led selling. So from a headcount standpoint, I would really think about where you're spending the money on the revenue lines. Is it working? And in order to preserve cash, really, really look at it intensely and make some hard calls and decisions around keeping personnel or perhaps exiting personnel. I focus specifically on this because my view is everything else is sort of at the margin. Yes, you can try and lower your you know, server costs by getting AWS credits as an example. But I don't think these will have material impacts to the business in terms of cash preservation. And so I tend to focus our founders on big picture. You're going to get the most cash preservation with your headcount and with the people you currently have. So let's figure out, do we really need to keep these people? Do we have product market fit and we're on a path towards raising the next round of funding? Or maybe not, and we have to make a change, and we have to reload in terms of our go-to-market motion. Wow, that's so succinct and concise. Everything you said there, and I loved it. You gave a sober reality for everybody, and then you gave glass half full about to do with it. Right? You have to generate product market fit and focus your engineers on doing that, and it's going to take time and expense in order to bring them on. But what success looks like is very clear. And uh, and just see it through to make that investment because if you believe in your idea and your product, you got to do that anyway. And get and the the measurement's different based sure. on your model and your cadence and your you know your ARR CMRR and your on the transaction and all that. But the the inputs are really there. Um, you know, and I was just thinking about this is. How do you double down on growth? As you and I talked into the green, in the green room on that, but I think you just answered that question last, which is focus on getting a successful product out, uh, and that's the key component to do. Anything else you'd add to that? Yeah. Well, what you're mentioning, and maybe I'll just expand upon my my thought bubble there. There, there's a lot of commentary you tend to see in the market about this achievement of product market fit. But what does that actually mean? Is that, you know, and it, are there scientific data points around that? And the reality is, is there, there are very loose terms when we think of product market fit. We say things like $1 million in annualized recurring revenue 
or you know customer renewal number it's very very fluffy and it's usually very high level so something that i've learned through my experience at bowery we have we have a a advisor to our firm named mark roberge many of your listeners will probably be familiar with him as the leader of hubspot's selling organization from from inception all the way through to ipo mark is now an adjunct professor at harvard business school and he teaches about the science of scaling and so what what i'm articulating is more you know, a, a pull of his research and, and his work, but I would get more detailed about what product market fit means, right? Um, what are the metrics? What are the numbers where we tend to focus, especially as SaaS companies, and you can probably appreciate this is it, it isn't really as relevant to highlight things like growth rates and overall revenue numbers. The dynamic you really want to focus on is in order to build an enduring company, I need super happy customers that are retained, that are using my product on a consistent basis. So focus a little bit more as a founder on what are those metrics? Could be number of logins, could be users added, could be time that they, they actually spend in the product. Um, whatever it do, it doesn't really matter and again it's very specific to your company but focus intensely intensely on that in the first 6 12 18 selling months and trust me you're going to set yourself up for a much better uh, amount of success as a company rather than just trying to jack up your sales or marketing effort and and not build any foundation because as we know if you do that what happens? High customer churn, high employee churn in the revenue lines because they're not trained, they're not onboarded, they're not ramped correctly, and we're not building an enduring company. So I think as you think about growth, figure out what your metrics are, your North Star metrics are for, for product market fit, um, and then maybe consider, do I have what, what Mark calls go-to market fit, which is sort of coupling or adding the product market fit. Hey, I have people who really love this thing. Now I also have a motion could be inside sales, could be outside sales, could be direct, could be channel, whatever. It doesn't really matter. But if I have two pillars, one is product market fit, one is go to market fit, then I can think about scaling. So I don't, I don't have the answer about specifics of what you should think about when scaling. But I think as an early stage investor, one of the things that we focused on is Hey, do, do we really have product market fit and sh show me and highlight for me 10, 50, hundred customers that are a clear articulation of that. And then, Hey, how are we selling or marketing this product? Is it working? What does it take to generate a dollar of revenue for our business? How quantitative are we and knowledgeable about this? Otherwise we probably need to figure those things out before we're going to think really hard about scaling. You know, as I'm reflecting on all this, just the takeaway for everybody, it's it's a little chicken and the egg, but you just got to decide what's your model and then get good counsel to help guide you in or also get some good counsel to help guide you into picking what your model is and the way that Mark helps the Bowery uh, investors and their portfolio doing that. There's excellent people that are out there. I'm happy to introduce you to 
someone if you don't know because I know many if not most of them that are out there and also with having a great investor like Bowery to help guide you in on doing that so it just takes money from your early stage investors that can really help you think through these decisions you know I I, I want to wrap up sure. on thing I thank you for how much you uh, work with us and your portfolio works with us Mike, but not everybody knows that much about us. Would you just share with everybody why you work with Sage Act in the portfolio? Yeah, so the 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 CFOs in our portfolio companies that that um, we spend a lot of time with. Obviously, we're we're very quantitative, as you can hear me me articulate, and as a result, we're we're much tied at the hip with a lot of CFOs and FP&A teams and finance teams as we think about things like broad strategy discussions and board meetings and, and other stuff. The, the two things I would highlight that we love about Sage, one has been the integration capabilities. I think bar none, you guys have probably the most integrations and the best integrations that we've seen in the portfolio. We don't have to kind of play whack-a-mole building custom stuff into, into core systems of record, which is always awesome. Um, and then it's just incredibly powerful in generating pretty meaningful financial analysis. We can do it at the organizational level. We can do it at the business unit level. I mean, this is an obvious thing and everyone who's a CFO or others that use the product will be shaking their heads, but you'd be surprised at how many other ERP or FP&A tools or BI and analytics tools out there that really don't get you that far with this. And it's, it's a delight to use Sage and Tech for that stuff. So. Well, thank you. And thank you for the amount of great feedback you've given over time to help us. Of course. Better because the same counsel you give your customers, I certainly value you on because it's like just you're building the product, just build what people want to use. So thank you for that. Totally. Well, thanks for having me, Dave. I appreciate it. Sure. So, and, you know, to all of you who listen, thank you so much for joining us today. And if you haven't already, don't make today a one time event. Our Slack community, the Modern SaaS Finance Slack community at bit.ly slash modern SaaS finance, bit.ly slash modern SaaS finance, all one word, where hundreds of your peers are getting to talk about fundraising, business models, investor metrics, just helping each other build a great team. If you enjoyed today, subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date with future episodes. We're available on all the major streaming platforms. Mike, any final thoughts? We are navigating the hardest market in software as a service we have ever seen, both as investors and entrepreneurs. Don't lose sight um, of the broader picture that it is a great time to be alive. Um, you know, hug your friends and family, think more broadly about life. Everybody will get through this. Um, yeah, that's my closing thought for everyone. That's a great closing thought put things in perspective so it's easier to make those tough decisions because you've got a great support network and uh, all around you but thank totally. you us today thank you everybody for listening everybody please have a great day